we're going to start, we're in our second week of this series, Truth Matters, where we're really just looking through the book of 2 Timothy um, for five weeks. We do that from time to time. We might take, might take a book or a couple verses and, and stay there for a couple weeks. Sometimes we do topics about dating or sex or, or, or whatever, but for the next four weeks, and not counting last week would be the fifth week, we're just in this book. And I want to tell you the story. It happened in a courtroom in Florida. Judge John Murphy is there, and he's, he's presiding over a case. I don't know what the guy was there in court for, but he has a public defender. It means he's got a lawyer that was assigned to him by the courts. And the lawyer, it was the assistant public defender. His name is Andrew Weinstock. And so the lawyer, Andrew Weinstock, is, is defending his client. And the judge, they're having this conversation. You can actually see what I'm telling you on video. There's some video from the courtroom. I don't know what happened previously, and it's not in the video, but something happened that this lawyer was doing that, that was making the, law, the judge upset. And so on the video, you hear the judge say, this is a court of law. The judge says, you know what? If I had a rock, I would throw it at you right now. Just sit down. Which is weird that you would like say, I would throw a rock at you if I had you. That's like terrible trash talk. But that's what the judge says. And, and the lawyer responds. He says, listen, I've got a right to stand here and defend my client. I, I, you, you can't tell me to sit down now. Apparently, he was being disrespectful to the judge, which you can't do. And the judge says this. The judge says, why don't we just go out back and fight? And the lawyer, you can see it on the video, the lawyer heads to the door, like power walking. You can't see the judge, but the judge leaves. The camera's like in the courtroom, and people are just like, what just happened? And then you can't see it, but you can hear the judge and the lawyer in the back because they're kind of right back behind the camera, and they're like, things are like banging into the walls. They're like, they're duking it out. And it's like, I would, I would not try to get out of jury duty if that would happen. I mean, I'd go for, I'd go for that, like, Mixed martial arts meets the courtroom. When you, when you go to court, when you're standing in front of a judge or a jury, I mean, you, you, are, you are in the heat of an argument. I mean, right? You, you don't get to that situation. You don't get to a court where you're standing in front of a jury or a judge presenting your case saying, this is truth, and someone else going, no, it's not. This is truth. You don't get to that point until you've exhausted all kinds of other avenues and other resources because no one wants to pay the money and take the time to do that. But once you get there, the fight or the argument is on. In fact, you've hired a lawyer, and I'm not saying this to demean him, this is kind of really in what some ways are. You've hired a professional arguer. You're paying a lot of money to get a lawyer who, who goes up and is compelling and tries to convince people that what you're saying has happened is the truth. I mean, so it, the fight is on. Both both groups are entrenched, and they are, they are ready for blood. Here's what never happens. It doesn't happen on TV. It doesn't happen in real life. You, and I, I, mean, I, I know, you know TV makes the courtroom look you know, a lot cooler than it probably is, but you never see the guy get up, the, the lawyer, and he's got a witness on the stand, and he's like examining the witness, and, and isn't it true? And the guy says, yes, and, and wasn't it true that this happened? Yes, and, and tell me about this, and the guy answers, and the lawyer goes, Judge, Your Honor, I rest my case. And he sits down, and the judge looks at the other lawyer, and he says, you can cross-examine. This is what you never see. You never see the lawyer who's crossing him get up and turn his back to the judge and the jury and the guy that's giving the testimony and kind of lean over and talk to his client and then turn around and look at the judge and go, well, judge, we heard what the the testimony of what this guy said, and yeah, we we never heard that before, so yeah, we agree. We're, We're wrong. We give up. We quit. How much jail do we do? How, how much do we owe? You know, they, never, they never in the heat of the argument go, oh, 
I didn't know that. Okay, now we lose, you win. That doesn't ever happen. They're going to fight till the end. And it's not just like the court of law. Think about your home. You've had a conversation with your mom or your dad or both of them where it was an argument and it started getting heated and they were telling, they were like, we said this and you were like, mom, dad, you never said that. And now you're trying to, you're going to ground me or put me on restriction because, because I did this, you never said that. And they go, yes, we did. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. No, you didn't. You go back and forth and the argument's on and you don't want to be in trouble and they want you to learn the lesson. And then your parents do this. This has happened, right? They go, we were sitting at Chili's in the back booth. You had a Dr. Pepper, some chips and salsa. I had chicken tenders and I said, you cannot go and do this, and you responded, da-da-da-da, and all of a sudden, it all floods back to you. And all of a sudden, you're like, dang, they're right. I, that did happen. I, told, I didn't remember, right? You've had that experience, right? And you know what you don't do? You don't look at your parents and go, mother, father, you're correct. I was in the wrong. I wholeheartedly embraced the punishment that you want to give me. You know, you relive it, and you're like, Never happened, right? And you're like, because you are not, once the argument has started, you are not going to give in. Happens like in marriage. A man and I have conversations. And this has happened, this has happened like a half dozen times. I've been, I get in so much trouble for this. We're in this conversation and she's like, well, we said we were going we to go here this night. And I'm like, no, you never said that. And I've already booked something. She's like, you shouldn't have booked something. I told you, I emailed you. And I said, oh, yeah, you emailed. You didn't tell me the time. I thought it was the morning. And she said, I said it was 7 o'clock. And I go, no, you didn't. The argument started. But there's an email. And she pulls it up. And it's like bolded, 7 o'clock, underlined, in red, you know, and everything else. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And you know what I do? I don't go, hey, you're right, I was wrong. Because we've been arguing. I start making an excuse. I'm like, you can't expect me to read your entire emails. I'm busy, right, you know? And she's like, you're in so much trouble. You know I mean? I, once the argument starts, we're not giving in. Take it one step further. You've got a boss or a teacher that you're not going to argue with because you will lose, right? The boss is going to fire you, whatever. So, and so you... you you don't go to your boss and start arguing. You just argue in your head. And you start telling yourself all the reasons why you're right and your boss is wrong. And it begins to then shape the way you see your boss. And by the time it's all said and done, like you've convinced yourself that your boss is literally the spawn of the devil himself. And you walk in, or a teacher, and you walk in, you like hate that teacher, you're mad at him, you don't like that boss anymore because you had this argument in your head and you started defending yourself and at no point, once the argument began, could you admit, I was wrong. Well, last week, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we, we, we looked in and, and we talked about Paul, who is uh, this great missionary, and he's writing a letter to a pastor named Timothy, a young guy. He's the pastor of this, at this church in Ephesus. And Paul's writing this young pastor while Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison because he's preached the gospel. He's talked about Jesus. And when the people, he lived in a, in a world that was not really pro-Christianity, when they said, stop talking about Jesus, Paul said, I can't do that. And they said, we're going to put you in prison if you don't. Paul said, that's fine. I'll go to prison, but I just want you to know, when you put me in prison, I'm going to talk to all the prisoners and the prison guards about Jesus. You'll never stop me from talking about him because it's the truth and truth matters. And from that jail cell, 
he writes a letter to Timothy, and Timothy's his pastor, and he's battling this thing in his church where the church, Christians, believers, are saying, hey, we believe this, and it's very much influenced by culture. It's not influenced by the Word of God. Paul's been teaching the Word of God, and some people are like, yeah, we believe, but other people are listening to other speakers. They're going, you know, what Paul says isn't really true, and Paul's in prison. You know what? It's much easier to do this, and and culture has kind of influenced their teaching, and it's leading them away from truth. It's leading them away from a proper understanding of God's character and his nature, and that's how we live in response to that. So people are living wrong because they believe culture over the Word of God. So Paul writes this letter and says, Timothy, truth matters. And we learned last week, he said, it's been entrusted to you. You've got to take care of it. And so last week we said you can't be ashamed of the truth. You've got to live it out, and, and, and you've got to guard it. It's been given to you. So in the midst of that discussion, Paul goes further in this letter. And we're, just gonna, we're not going to read all chapter 2. You need to read chapter 1, chapter 2. You've got a couple weeks to, to read all through 2 Timothy. But I'm going to read you just a, a, a couple of verses that we're going to come back and we're just going to really uh, dig deep on. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if I can get there. Give me one sec. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're just going to look at starting verse 14 and read a couple of them. Timothy, Paul says this. I'm going to read it all, then we'll come back and go verse by verse. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to resent yourself to God as one ashamed. I mean, one approved. Sorry, ashamed is the next line. Do your best to resent yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. So let's go back. I just want to walk through this because Paul is going to talk to us about this truth. You will never argue somebody to the truth. You're never going to argue somebody to the truth. We already talked about it. Not in the court of law. Not with your parents. Not with your future spouse. Not with a teacher or boss. Once you start arguing, the conversation breaks down. Once you start arguing, it's now a fight and it's about winning. It's not about coming to the truth. And so Paul is having this conversation with Timothy. He says this. Go back to verse 14. He says, remind them of these things. I'm going to be giving you a lot of like kind of what the Greek says. We don't always do that, but if you're a note taker, you're going to write down some good stuff. When Paul says this, he, that word, that phrase, remind them, the tense of the verb, what he's saying is keep on reminding them. Don't stop. He's going to say, you know what, we need to have this conversation on a regular basis. Don't argue. Not enough just to say it tonight. We need to say it on a regular basis. Don't get in fights. Don't quarrel. Don't argue with people. Say it over and over again. This is how serious it is. He says, and charge them before God. What that, 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 that's saying is like, hey, just get up there in front of everybody and say, hey, as God is my witness, God's standing right here hearing me tell you, do not quarrel. Do not get into arguments with people. I, I mean, God's hearing me say this to you. That's how important it is. Why? Because it does no good. It only ruins the hearers. The argument doesn't ever, again, it doesn't ever come to something good. If we start arguing about things about theology and we're, now we're fighting about it, no one's going to go, oh, now I see the error of my ways. You're right. So, so all it does is entrench people in their wrong belief, and now they're not giving up their wrong belief no matter what because they're not going to let you win. And so he says it brings ruin to them. That word literally translates, it turns things upside down. It takes things that are right and puts right things on the bottom. That's what that word means. It's actually, it's a Greek word, katastrophe. 
And we get the English word catastrophe from it. That's where we get that word. Paul says, don't argue. When you argue, all it does is bring a catastrophe into the lives of people. It ruins them. And it ruins churches. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you the story. I, I, I've heard three different sources say that this story I'm about to tell you is true. I'm just having a hard time believing it. But we're going to go with it. And it is so crazy. I'm going to have to walk through it on the PowerPoint slide because I could not remember it all. So there's a church in Centerville, South Carolina. 1911, it was a Presbyterian church. Go ahead and hit that next slide. I'm going to take them through little by little. It used to be called Centerville Presbyterian Church in 1911. But the church split because they got an argument over when to take the offering. Some people said we should take the offering before the sermon. And some people said, no, we should take the offering after the sermon. And it became an argument. And people began to get entrenched on when to take the offering. And the church literally split in half. And some people went, we can't worship with you anymore because you take the offering after the church, after the, worship, the service, the preaching, and that is ungodly. There's nothing in the Bible about it. So they split. We're going to meet over here. Let's hit the next slide. So that church became Centerville Reformed Presbyterian. That, the, the church that split, that became their name. Four years later, they split over whether to have flowers in the sanctuary or not. Crazy. Flowers by the pulpit. Nope, we can't do that. Then we can't go to church with you. And they split. Next slide, hit that. So they became Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church of Centerville. They had seven more splits over the course of 14 years. It gets crazier. Hit the next one. By that time, the last split was called Third Westminster Trinity Covenant Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. You know what kind of website you have to have for that? Hit the next slide. 48 total splits later. 48 different church splits. The last one was recent. It was over if they were violating the Sabbath by checking their email on their personal computer on Sundays. And people said, you can't do that. Well, yes, you can. And we can't worship with you anymore. And so here's the name of the church, this church apparently, the last one. The Presbyterian, Totally Reformed, Covenantal, Westminsterian, Sabbatarian, Regulative Credo, Communionist, Amillennial, Presuppositional Church of Centerville. This cannot be true. Cannot be true. About three different, uh, uh, there was a, an article on a, a, a newspaper in South Carolina where the guy tells the story. So I'm going, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But crazier things have happened. Churches have split. I know this to be true. Churches have split over what to do with a piano bench. Yeah. So let me ask you this. The quote, now again, I don't know if it's true. The quote at this final last thing was one of the members of the church said, hey, we have, we're up to six members now and we're hoping to grow. That ain't going to happen. When you're fighting over flowers and you're arguing in, in such a way that people go, I can't worship with you anymore. I'm going to start my own church. I'm going. How many people in that fellowship of people start growing to be like Jesus? If you add it all together, it comes up to zero. That's, that's how many. What kind of impact are they making on the community? How many people are they leading to Jesus when this is what they're arguing about? None. And that's what Paul says. He said it's a catastrophe when we start arguing because nobody's going to come around and go, you know what, okay, we give in. Now, to be fair to the passage, Paul's talking to a church. He's talking to people who claim to be Christians. But we're talking about faith issues. And you've got friends who believe things that may not be true. Some of them aren't, aren't, aren't believers, and, and, but I want you to know this passage of Scripture, this, this truth that we're not going to ever argue some of the truth, 
it does transcend just the church. It's true for everybody because we live and we believe and we have faith based on how we see the character and nature of God. I said that last week. So even a person who's an atheist who says, I don't believe God exists, they believe that the character of God, that the uh, reputation of God is non-existent. Therefore, since there is no character of God to define how I should live, I can live however I want. So they do have faith. In fact, there's a guy, a math professor at, at Oxford, and, and he gave some quotes. He says this. He says, everybody has faith. And he's a math professor. And I put some quotes up there, too, because I couldn't remember all. The guy's name is John Lennox. Uh, hit that first quote. Talking about people who are atheists but still have faith, Albert Einstein said this, I can't imagine a scientist without the profound faith that the universe is comprehensible for our reason. I left out part of that word. Albert Einstein says, you know what, as a scientist, it's hard to believe that that, that people cannot have faith. Here's a quote from a guy who's a physicist who's not a believer. Hit the next quote for me. He says, even the most atheistic scientist accepts as an act of faith the existence of law-like order in nature that is at least in part comprehensible to us. Paul Davies, not a believer, but he's talking about faith. He says, even if you don't believe in God, you still have faith, you still trust something. You still have a belief system that affects the way you live. The last quote is from another physicist. He says, the entire study of physics depends on its faith and the mathematical intelligibility of the universe. So even if we're talking about somebody who doesn't believe in God or somebody who has faulty reasonings about God or they say God is like this and the Scripture doesn't say that, we're talking about faith issues and those things are very personal to us. And, and, and we will argue those things. And Paul tells Timothy Whatever you do, don't argue because you're never going to argue anyone into the truth. And look what he says in verse 15. I love this. It's a great passage. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That, that phrase there, he says, do your best. The, the, actually, the, the Greek word there, he, he says, be zealous. And I, I wish my Bible, I don't know how your Bible translates. I wish my Bible had translated it that way. Because when I read do your best, I mean, I, I, I like hear my mom like saying, do your best, honey, you know, try hard. That's not what Paul's telling Timothy. He's saying, be zealous. Zealous is this like radical chasing after something. A person who's zealous is fanatical. To me, it, I, I put a picture up here. It's like that dog that grabs a hold of the bone or a dog that grabs a hold of that chew toy. And they are zealous, right? You, ever, you have one of the, maybe you have a puppy at home or a dog and you have that little chew toy and, and they grab it and you're trying to pull it and the dog's pulling and it's like, growling. It's not mad. You're just having fun. And then you can do this, like, like especially if it's a smaller dog, you're holding it. You can, like, lift the whole toy up, and all four paws of the dog come with it, right? You're, like, swinging the dog around. <laughs> is that, right? You see it, right? Because the dog's not letting, that dog is zealous. That dog is all in. Paul uses some words in here. He says, be approved. Show yourself approved. That, that carries in, 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 the, in the original language this idea that, that some character is formed because of some tough times, some trials. He says, be approved. He says, he says, be a worker. And again, I don't like the word that's translated in English. The word in Greek is more like laborer. If I go, hey, how many of you guys want to go work tomorrow? I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll do. If I go, how many of y'all want to go labor tomorrow? You're like, pass. Because labor like, feels like I'm, I'm going to be sweating, you know, be hot work, you know, my, something different. But Paul uses these words, says, be zealous, and, and you're going to have to labor. What he's saying is this, if you're going to go after the truth, if you're going to go after an understanding of the character and nature of God, you've got to do it like that dog on a bone. It, 
It's going to cost you some sweat. It's going to cost you some tears. It's going to cost you some mountains you've got to climb. There's some obstacles you've got to overcome. But the Word of God and understanding it, being able to open your Bible and understand what God says for you and how you're supposed to live, you will not get just by showing up on a Wednesday night. It just won't happen. You'll grow some, but you're not going to be able to handle the word of truth is what he says in that next part of the verse. You're not going to be able to, in an argument, be able, or even a discussion, you're not going to be able to defend the character of God because you don't know it. You don't know it because you haven't put the time in. It's been a Sunday morning here or there, a Wednesday night here or there, maybe camp, and, and you've got this, this cursory idea of who God is, but when the rubber hits the road, when somebody comes up and says, well, this is true about God, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't think that's true, but I don't really know. Paul says, Timothy, he says, Timothy, I don't want you to argue because arguing leads to ruin, but you better know it. You better, if you had to, if you're going to go to prison like me, you better know what you believe and you better know that the character of God and that his, who he is is true. And, and it's going to cost you sweat, some tears, some time. You're going to have to. Here's the very practical thing. And it sounds stupid, but it's hard. You're going to have to shut Netflix off and read 2 Timothy. Right? Everybody's like, oh, well, it just got real now. I, I mean, I was okay with going to prison for Jesus, but turn off Netflix? You're crazy. This guy's done, lost his mind. I mean, we Netflix binge, and it takes us six weeks to read 2 Timothy. Right? Paul tells Timothy, you better get after it. And then he says this. Look in verse 16. He says, avoid, run from, flee from irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. He says, when you get in these stupid controversies and you get into these, these questions where people are like, oh, the Scripture said, when you know it's not true, he says, don't even engage, just, just leave. Because all it does, and in fact, the idea these people have is that they're progressive. That's, that's kind of the idea here in, in the culture. And, and Paul says, yeah, you're, you're progressing. You're progressing backward. You're progressing into more and more ungodliness. You're not, with this, with this false teaching, you're not progressing into the character of God because you've skewed the character of God. You're progressing deeper and deeper into, into falsity. And it's going to cost you. And then here's what he says. Look at this. I love this. He says, it'll lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk their theology, their false ideas about truth will spread like gangrene. Now hold on for a minute because I'm going to ask my friends in the back to do something. I don't want you to leave it up there long, but show us what gangrene looks like. All right, take it off now. We don't want to stare at that. Okay, here's what gangrene is. When the blood vessels in your body stop delivering oxygen to your body and it and starts usually in your appendages, your cells and your flesh literally start to die and it spreads. And you know how you stop it? You know how you stop cane green? You cut it off. All right, listen. Listen. I almost didn't show you the picture because I knew this would happen. Everybody would be like, oh my gosh. I'm scarred for life. All of a sudden now, I will give up Netflix if you never show that picture again. Listen, shh. 
Look up here. I don't want you to miss this. Irreverent babble. Wasted time and stupid theology because you don't know the word spreads falsities like gangrene through you spiritually. Do you think Paul's joking around? Paul's serious. He, he's, he's leaving some hard images. He's going, Timothy, truth matters. You better know it. That, that's that middle verse there. You better know it. But what we're leaning in tonight is don't get into arguments, and we're going to kind of conclude why in a second. But I want to give you some, some application before we get out of here. I want to, I want to give you some reasons or some, some, some things we can do to apply this. And, and really, they're just coming right back out of the passage of Scripture. They're just verse 14, verse 15, verse 16. So here's the first, here's the first one. Verse 14 is this. You've got to listen more than you talk so you can diffuse an argument. That's what he says in verse 14. He didn't say listen more than you talk, but he says don't argue. You've got, you, you got friends that don't believe things that are true about the character of God. You've got to be able to stand up for that. You've got to be able to lean into the, hey, guys, this is, not, this is not what you're believing and what you're living is not true. God has a better plan. But when the argument starts and they start entrenching, and, oh, you're a holy roller, or you don't know that, that's when you go, okay, hey, I'm not going to get an argument. I just want you, I just, I love you. I'm not going to argue with you. You don't have to tell them because it's going to come to your ruin, but that's what Scripture says. You've got to be able to stand up for it, but you don't need to argue. I had a guy come to my office this week. Somebody tell me what time it is real quick. I don't have my watch. Okay, let me close it. I don't have much more. A guy came to my office earlier this week. And as we're talking, he stayed in my office for about 45 minutes. He's, he's in his late 60s. I've known him for several years, but I haven't seen him a lot of years because he was going to another church. And this is what he said. We were talking about theology and things like this. And he said, my theology's changed. He's standing in my office and he says, I don't believe any longer that there's a such thing as hell. He said, I don't believe hell exists. Now, I feel pretty confident when you go to the Word of God, we can confidently say Jesus believed that hell exists. Scripture paints a picture of it in Revelation. There's a lot of things that lead us to believe hell. This guy says, I don't believe it anymore. Now, here's my options. I can, in the midst of that conversation, go, you're wrong. And here's why. And he could go, well, here's why I believe that. I go, well, here's why I believe this. And we could have started debating. And that debate could have been healthy, but it also could have turned into an argument. But I knew that as he walked into my office, this is what he said 45 minutes before he made that statement. I don't know where I'm going to go to church anymore because the church I was going to is no longer happening for me. It's not, I can't go there anymore. And I just felt like God was calling me to stop here. And I was walking by. He's walk, actually walking by to see somebody else. And he saw me in my office and stopped. Here's a guy who's looking for a home. He's looking for people to share life with. Is this theology wrong? Yes. That wasn't the time to start an argument. That wasn't going to do any good. That wasn't going to help him find a group of people to share life with that could later help him hopefully understand truth better. It wasn't going to happen. We started arguing. I just listened. I just listened and said, that's interesting. I didn't even say I disagree. You know why? Because he knew I didn't agree with that. He knew. He's, not, he's known me. Sometimes you just got to listen. You got to be able to speak truth, but sometimes to diffuse the argument, it's okay to hear what somebody else believes so that you can buy influence with them. Why would anybody want to listen to what you want to say when you're busy interrupting what they have to say because you're arguing? So there's, there's your application. 
Next time the conversation around the lunch table turns to some controversial topic, people start saying things that, that really at the baseline, it's an assault on the character of God. You don't have to join the argument, just listen. Why do you believe that? Why do you think that's true? You might ask them questions to let them think. What you'll find is a lot of your friends that, that believe this or that, you can ask them about two questions about why they believe, and all of a sudden they're like, uh, I don't know. Saw it on Facebook, saw it on Twitter, heard my parents talk about it. I have no reason why I believe that. And all of a sudden, you, you don't have to argue anymore. You realize they don't know what they're talking about. So listen more than you talk or argue. Here's the second thing. You've got to know the truth. That comes out of that next verse. We talked about it. Paul tells Timothy, you, got, you love God. If you love God, you're going to want to know his character. You want to know him, what he's about, who he is. And, and you get that from the word. You get that from going to his revelation. Know God. Now, I've got a friend. I've, I've probably told you this before. I've got a friend. He goes to another church. And the church that he goes to, it, it's a great church, but they have this theological belief that uh, some Christians believe, others don't. It's not, not a deal breaker. But in their church, you have to believe this certain thing about Christianity. And half Christians do, and half Christians I know don't. I, I happen to not. Well, my friend goes to that church, and he's been in these conversations with some of the people at his church about this area of theology, and he comes back to me, and he starts telling me, well, they believe this, and they believe that, and I go, yeah, and this is what he said to me, God honest. He goes, what do we believe? I, go, I don't know what we believe, <laughs> you know. I know what I believe, because I've done the work, because I've got into the Word. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be a person that when it comes to theology and the character of God, you've got to call me and go, hey, what do we believe? You need to know God for yourself. You need to know Jesus, have a relationship with him. You can't ride my coattails to a relationship with Jesus, but you know Jesus from his word. So listen more than you talk. Know God. Put in the work. Here's the third thing. Don't go looking for controversy. That's that irreverent babble. Hey, let me just tell you this. Here, this, is, this is a fairly truthful assessment. There's probably some exceptions to this. If somebody's talking about something from the Bible or about God that's like new, they found this verse that has now changed everything that centuries of theologians have missed. And your friend doesn't even read the Bible in the original language, but he's found this secret truth to God. Or this theology that, that the vast majority of Christian scholars go, past, that's not true. Don't waste your time jumping in on that. I mean, you can do the due diligence to do the, the biblical work, but that might fall in that category of irreverent babble. Don't waste your time. Get caught up chasing things. If, if you're really interested in it, do the work. Find the word. But don't go chasing after every new controversial thing because somebody told you it's cool. But here's the fourth application, and it's the most important of all. Every one of us has to do this. And I just called it this, love people. And I want us to read, hit the next slide. I want you to read a set of verses for me. Hit the next slide because it's 2 Timothy. It's, it's a little bit further down. Verse 23. I want you to see what, what's most important here. As Paul comes back around, he talks about the same concept a little more. Same, ch same chapter. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Again, harsh words. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses 
and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Why we don't argue? We've already talked about entrenches people. They're never going to come to the truth all of a sudden because of your argument. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. We don't argue because we don't want to entrench people. We want to love the truth. We want to speak the truth. We want to love people well because at the end of the day, we want them. Here's what he says in verse 25. We want them to find repentance. A change in the way they see God. We want them to come from false teachings around to the true teachings of the character of God. And when you argue in trench, they're not going to do it. So it's the heart for people. Here's, what, here's the problem with Christians today, a lot of them. We're more concerned about winning our arguments than we are about winning people. We're more concerned about being right than we are about being in right relationships. And so I'll argue with you and ruin the relationship where you don't want to hear anything I say, you start having internal arguments in your mind like we talked about with a teacher or a boss, and now you see me as the enemy. And so anything I say about the true character and nature of God, you don't even hear anymore because I argue to the point where you've built a trench and you've in your mind convinced yourself that I'm evil and I don't care about you, but if I can love you and listen to you and still speak truth, but doing it lovingly and avoiding the argument then the Holy Spirit has fertile ground to bring that person to repentance and understand the truth. So it's about loving people. It's why we don't argue. I'm going to close with this last story. Tragic, but true. Two guys. One of the guys' name um, was Doozy Fan. And the guy's name was Douglas Yim. Douglas Yim and Dazuzi Fan, two friends, living in Oakland, California. They've been partying all night, playing video games, two dudes hanging out. In the midst of playing video games, the conversation turns to spiritual things. They start talking about the existence of God. Does God exist? Playing video games, talking. And Yim, Douglas Yim, is arguing that yes, God does exist. You can't not believe in God. That's crazy. Mr. Fan says, no, God doesn't exist. And now the, the, dis, the debate, the discussion starts to get more heated and it starts to turn into an argument. God does exist. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. And the Zuzi Fan says this to Douglas Jim. He says, then where was God when your dad died of a stroke? And Douglas Jim, in the heat of the argument, grabbed his gun and shot his friend and killed him. tragic. But let me ask you this. Not with a gun, but with words. No, he, yeah, he really shot the dude with a gun. I'm, yeah, hey, that's, that's real. Hey, that's real. Don't get in an argument about the existence of God. But my question is this, for us, because you're not going to pull out a gun, but how many relationships have you murdered with your words. How many relationships, how many opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work in somebody's life have you broken down and ruined, brought to catastrophe, turned upside down because you wanted to win the argument? Tragic, true story. But it's just as tragic when we realize that we've done the same thing. You'll never argue 
some by the truth. But you better know the truth. Truth matters. Let's pray.